0: Good morning, my name is Karen and I'm going to be doing our Bible reading this morning which comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water groves, of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's fantastic to see so many people here. Uh, Please let me add my welcome to you, especially if you're visiting uh, a newcomer, uh, if you're streaming in on Zoom or the podcast. Uh, Great to have you with us this fine Sunday morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your wisdom. Uh, We invite your Holy Spirit to our hearts and minds. Help us to hear and understand what you desire us to learn this morning. Challenge us. Help us to see where and how you bring both meaning and pleasure. Bless this time together uh, and help me speak only your words. Amen. Uh, So for those of you who don't know, uh, I'm a member here. Uh, I also work as a paramedic. And it's really handy because you always get great stories for sermons. Um, (laughs) It's it's just a never-ending stream of of things. Uh, I once had a patient... They were in the, you know, their fifties. They had pretty poor health, uh, and as we were putting him in the ambulance, he sort of looked up at me and said, oh, "I'll tell you what, mate, live hard, die young. Really, only works if you die young." He was kind of joking, but in it was a bit of a confession. And, and as we drove, he sort of confessed that he regretted his life choices. Um, he had indulged himself as best he could, uh, and. In essence, now as we took him from a fairly undesirable living situation, he thought it had been meaningless. Uh, He thought it had been fairy floss. Another patient I picked up recently was telling me about a chat he had with his neighbour over the barbed wire fence uh, when his father was being taken off to hospital. And it was a very different story. Um, They didn't have much money. They, in his words, were poor as mice. but his dad had a great peace uh, in the Lord, a great joy in the way the Lord had blessed them and, and living his life uh, the way he thought Jesus wanted him to. And as he talked with his neighbor, seeing his dad get taken away, it, was, it struck him in his heart when his neighbor, who wasn't a follower of Jesus, said to him, uh, neighbor being a very wealthy man, very large house, um, he goes, your dad's something special. And, and my patient was sort of like, oh, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, I would give my millions, my, my house, my home, I would give anything for what your dad has, for the life your dad lived. And even someone who wasn't a Christian could see the worth that someone who loves God and lives their life in a way had been able to find. This is kind of what we see in Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's a book that speaks the wisdom to those who don't know God or for people who do know God. It speaks against the temptation of the world. It gives us wisdom about how we deal with this. Um, Jess did a fantastic job recapping uh, everything we've gone through last week. Um, And I think it's really helpful, and we're in in the society that we're in, to talk about pleasure. Pleasure. Uh, Because pleasure is something that our current society, we're obsessed with it. Um, It is the the thing that our world tells us is, in effect, the meaning of life. A bit of due credit, um, a lot of the stuff we're talking about today is going to come from these two people. Michael Braudigam, he is a fantastic thinker. Um, He's a psychologist and also a lecturer in theology over in Melbourne. If you're a reading person, I really recommend that book. Um, It's a fantastic book on discipleship. Uh, also, David Williams. Um, he CMS is a, is a very large mission organisation and he heads up their training. Um, he's the head of their training college uh, and he's actually speaking in Launceston early next year at their conference. So if you are interested um, in mission or ministry or evangelism, I really recommend getting across to Launceston. Um, he's a, a phenomenal thinker and speaker as well. We have it pretty good in Australia. Um, We've got things that previously, you know, if you asked a king 100 years ago, 200 years ago, uh, what was in their kitchen, how long would it take to get a meal, how warm was their bed, um, what sort of spices could they get in their food, what activities could they do with their day, it would pale in comparison to even the average Australian. Um, You know, a microwave meal to them would be miraculous. And what this is doing is we've got this new world, is it's shifting the way we think, it shifts the way we make decisions. Uh, and as we look around the world at different cultures, we have these ways that guide our thoughts, that help us make decisions. Um, we, it might be, in some places, a kind of a fear and power version of c- decision-making. You are scared of something, so you go and you, do, you look for power. You might use witchcraft, you might use violence, you might use censorship to try and control the things that you're scared of. Uh, and make you feel you have got power over it or power over other people. Um, Shame and honour culture. You don't make your decision based off what makes you happy. You don't get a job because you like the job. You you get the job because it gives you prestige. You didn't become a dentist because you like teeth. You became a dentist because it brought honour to your family. And you don't steal because you know it's wrong. You don't steal because if you were caught, it would bring great shame to your family. And in Australia, we used to kind of work on guilt and innocence. You, didn't, you wanted to be innocent. You wanted to be held in good esteem by the community with a good reputation of, of being someone who was fair, of doing the right thing. You didn't want to be caught doing the wrong thing because that's why we have lots of rules. People who travel around a lot will tell you Australia's got a lot of rules. And that's based off this idea that we want to know who's guilty, who's done the wrong thing by our laws. But now, that's kind of shifting increasingly, it's not about if something is right. It's not about if something is logical or fair. Uh, Australian culture is much more about whether we're enabling someone to do what makes them happy, whether or not that is actually right. And as as our social debates and things are going on, uh, we're not looking at whether this breaks an old rule or not. We're just looking about whether this causes anyone else pain. And if it doesn't cause anyone else pain, well, then why stop you from doing it? Why can't I spend my money on what I want to? It's mine. Why can't I choose a partner who makes me happy? It's not hurting anyone else. Why should I not be able to choose to receive euthanasia whenever, when I want to? I don't want the pain. I want it to end. I, it's not about if it's right or wrong to end that life. It's about the pleasure and pain of the person making the decision. And this, this kind of experiment of, well, how should I live my life? What should I do? What's the meaning? Is what this person in Ecclesiastes, this teacher, is, underwent? He so, said, what should I do while I'm on earth? What's the right way, the best way to live life? Uh, and we're going to explore that today. So we're going to look at four things, um, probably take us about another 15 minutes maybe. Uh, we're going to look at pleasure across the whole Bible. We're going to say, what else does God have to say about pleasure? We're going to look at pleasure in Ecclesiastes 2. What does this wise teacher have to say about it? Then we're going to talk about pleasure in Australia. What does our culture say about it? And then we're going to talk about pleasure with Jesus. What does Jesus say to us about it? So pleasure in the Bible, we know that the Bible actually talks about it quite often. Um, God takes pleasure in things. So uh, in Zephaniah, he tells us he rejoices over us with gladness. God takes pleasure in his people. God has pleasure in righteousness. He has made known the mystery to his pleasure that we would have the gospel. God's pleasure is in his people, and it's in his people doing what he desires. And God gives pleasure in that too. Uh, God makes us feel ple- pleasure uh, Feel pleasure in his presence. God clothes us with gladness and pleasure when we do the things that bring him joy. Uh, God brings pleasure to his people when they walk in his ways as a community, so not just individually, but as a church or as a nation. Uh, And when we walk the ways of God, when we follow the paths of Jesus, then God makes us known how we can receive pleasure as well. So there's a good holy pleasure. But then there's also a pleasure which is not holy. So pleasure which is in line with God's heart and gives service to God's kingdom is meaningful. uh, Made in God's image, we are designed to feel pleasure like God feels pleasure. But when that pleasure becomes more desirable than God, that's when it becomes unholy. That's when it becomes an idol. That's when it becomes a temptation to sin. Uh, And if we look at Timothy, it gives some good examples that people... Uh, love pleasure rather than love God. We connect it with James, we see that this desire for pleasure leads people to sin. And, and when people go, why won't you give me my new Ferrari? It's because you don't need a Ferrari. Ferrari is not bringing holiness. You're coveting. It, it's this pursuit of pleasure, this pursuit of the next thing. When we think of how many uh, lives are destroyed, reputations damaged, crimes committed in seeking Pleasure in theft, in addiction, uh, in cheating, things like that—it's unfulfilling. So, as we look, move from looking at the Bible, pleasure in the Bible overall, we can look at what's the pleasure of the teacher. It's not on holiness. And if we see the the language that this person's using, it's not repentant. We don't read a I sought the Lord, and he instructed me. I listened for God. I followed the direction. Instead, a lot of eyes. I listened to my heart. I wanted to know what would make me happy. He's he's not seeking godliness. He's seeking just the pure pleasure that he can get in his number of days under the sun. He's chasing his fairy floss. And we know that our own hearts are evil, that the unrepentant heart that doesn't know God will deceive us. And when we chase this pleasure, then we end up, instead of blessing others the way God blesses us, we end up using others. So if we look at at the text, if you've got your Bibles in front of you, this is a great chance to look down and kind of look through the different things he did. Um, He first says, I'm going to use wine for pleasure. I'm going to, I know it's silly, I've still got my wisdom, but I'm going to get drunk. If you want wine and you don't have a local bottle, of because it's, you know, 4,000 years ago, you need vineyards, and you need a lot of them. Israel doesn't have a lot of rainfall. They don't have enough annual rainfall across the whole country to support this, so you need, you need to do irrigation. And because you don't have an electric pump you need to dig a cistern, you need to reroute creeks, you need to capture water somehow and bring it. And so it's not as easy as him just planting a vineyard and keeping it. He has to take water from somewhere. And in taking that water for his perpetual drinking of wine, for his sharing of wine with other people, he's taking water from his own citizens. He's taking water from, as a king, the people who are under him who he should be protecting. He's taking water from farmers, from families, uh, gardens and parks, they were kind of like walled estates. This was like having you know, a summer house and a winter house and a spring house, uh, a place to go and show off. It was not like a botanical garden where anybody could go. It was, a, it was a private place, a place of status. Again, there's not a lot of good agricultural land. There's not a lot of usable water. And the pursuit of the pleasure for I and me, the teacher is taking. And we see he's taking... He's taking the freedom of people as slaves. He's taking the children of those people as slaves. He's taking the riches and rights of the people around him in this endless pursuit of pleasure that is never enough. And at the end, I think I've gone the wrong way. Sorry, everyone. Um, In the end, whilst God, when God created, if we if we think back to Genesis, when God created the world, he got to the end and said, This is good. This is a blessing upon the earth. This is wonderful. And he shared that with Adam and Eve, and he shared that with his creation. The teacher gets to the end and goes, This is meaningless. And it actually ended up destroying the kingdom. If this is if the teacher is Solomon, as many people think the book was written by King Solomon. At the end of Solomon's reign, the kingdom of Israel was divided into civil war, and it would never be reunited. The legacy that this person with great wisdom could have left, like the farmer talking over the fence, was instead to leave a nation in tatters. And I think chasing these hallmarks of success are still what we see today, a materialistic happiness, a more comfortable life, a greater status and reputation, the ability to get what we want, when we want, with convenience. It's seeking pleasure. It's what our society tells us is what to do. Uh, and ironically, you know, when we look at the people who've hit the peak of wealth and influence, um, Elon Musk being one example, too often you see that the important things that are meaningful to God and society are lacking. Failed marriages, substance abuse, reputations are destroyed, uh, the concerns about illegal treatment, about uh, environmental damage, because they're continually pursuing happiness. Um, now there are people in very mixed financial positions and you know, if people are struggling here, this is not an aim at saying you've got too much money. This is not an aim at saying, uh, you know, money is bad. But we need to be thinking that we live in a, we live in a culture that encourages consumerism. Our entire economy, the way, the way that you know, many websites are funded is personalised advertising. Advertising to make you spend on pleasure. Advertising to distract you from thinking about other people and make us look inward on ourselves. And if you want to know a lot about someone, you look at the internet history, you look at their personalized ads, and you look at their bank bank statements. Where have they been spending money? What are their personal ads for? Is it for possessions? Is it for the material? Or is it for the immaterial? Is it for the things of God? Is it for fairy floss? Or is it for something substantial, for meaning. Um, To pause and think on this for a moment, you think of how much advertising is worth, you know, Super Bowl ads that go for millions. You think of influencers trying to sell you a lifestyle to make you desire it, to make you want that next thing, who get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for posts to to hold a product, to wear a t-shirt, to try and convince you to live the van life. go on that four-wheel-driving adventure. It's not just a house. It's not just a rich car. It's the way we live in every single form. And the world is at a point where we don't know what to do when things aren't pleasurable. Solomon talks, I chased pleasure. I had a harem. Why did he need so many hundreds of wives? Why did he need so many vineyards? When our culture doesn't know what to do with suffering, when suffering happens, it gets shoved down. It becomes a roadblock to get over as quick as we can to get back to pleasure. And yet, when we think of Christ, Christ was someone who was well acquainted with suffering. Christ didn't sit and make sure his own garden was walled off and watered and made in a way that nobody else could access it so that he could enjoy it alone for the maximum of his own pleasure. He emptied himself of pleasure and entered into suffering so that he could share the pleasure of God, that meaningful, wonderful pleasure, with the world. And this is the the trap that we can fall into. We need to make a choice. Are we going to live the culture of the world, that pleasure, pain, decision-making of the teacher, or are we going to live in a countercultural view as Jesus did, going, "I'm not going to pursue pleasure that uses other people, I'm going to pursue the pleasure of God, even if that means suffering? Because there's a lot of suffering the When we follow Jesus, he calls us to take up our cross, an individualized cross that he has set out for us. And we commit to find pleasure where he finds pleasure, which is pleasing the Father, not pleasing our own heart. And as we please the Father, we find our hearts transformed and they become like his. And we find delight and hope and joy and freedom in times of good and in times of bad. Because it is when we are suffering, it is when we empty ourselves that we are most open to transformation, that we are most willing and ready for Jesus to work in our hearts, that we are most uh, available to call Jesus to come alongside us and not try to do things by ourselves, to not keep thinking that the way we're living is sufficient, to not keep chasing the next thing that our paycheck will enable us to be able to afford, but instead live the way God calls us to. And this goes against the pleasure and pain worldview. So we need to think, what uncomfortable thing is the Holy Spirit calling you to take up on your cross? And it will be different for everyone. And we don't have the time to talk about Christian suffering in a lot of detail today. But what is the thing that Jesus is calling you to take up on your cross? There's a pretty high chance it's gotten nowhere near the amount of suffering compared to our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church around the world today. This pleasure which is in line with God's heart and serves God's kingdom is Meaningful. Now, I'm going to rehash here. God delights in us having pleasure. He delights in us having pleasure in good things. Uh, And I praise God for tasty coffee. I praise God for sunshine. I praise God for hanging out at the beach with my kids, that I get to watch them play and rejoice and sing songs with them and teach them about the Lord. Uh, Those are wonderful. But as we turn back to look at the teacher, we can see when we solely live for pleasure, we indulge in idolatry for ourselves. When we solely live for pleasure, chasing that fairy floss, we neglect to take up our cross and we use other people. We take resources that that are dearly needed from others for our own selfish needs. And when we fail to live, when we solely live for pleasure, we don't trust in God to bring us to maturation as we endure suffering with him we say, instead of the suffering God that you have planned for me to work through me, to bring perfection in me like you did in Christ, I will not trust you to hold me through this. I will seek pleasure instead. I don't need to be refined. I want pleasure. So if you aren't yet a Christian, if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus and you are frustrated with the way the world is, you're depressed that you can't just seem to, to get what that thing is that you want. If you're chasing and just feel like you're never getting there, if you're annoyed that there doesn't seem to be an answer to the suffering and disappointment that you feel sometimes, then we would love to talk to you more. And we would love to introduce you to the Jesus that suffered on the cross, that knows how to handle suffering and wants to suffer with you and to give you true meaning. If you are a Christian, and you feel the same way, you still have those frustrations, then we would also love to talk with you more. Uh, Etienne and the elders would really love to sit and pray with you, and go, how can we suffer with you as a church? Because we are brothers and sisters, and life is not always perfect, and we are called to support one another, and sometimes suffering lasts a long time, and sometimes we need to cry together for a long time. You can't shortcut it. And we as a church are here for one another. When we live as God's people, we find pleasure in the presence and majesty of God. That is where true pleasure lies. Not in wine, not in our jobs, not in building great feats, not in having possessions, but resting in the presence and majesty and eternal glory of God and that is only found in Christ as his disciples. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that it shows us. Thank you for your wonderful holiness and the work you do in each and every one of us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be convicting us, revealing us in our hearts, where we are choosing to avoid suffering, to instead seek pleasure. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would show us what individualised crosses you call us to bear and where the narrow gate is that we need to follow your Son. We praise you, King Jesus, for choosing to accept the suffering that God prepared for you, that you were made perfect and enable us to become perfect with you in heaven. We love you, God, and we thank you so much for all you've done. Work that in us as well, we pray. Amen.